0: Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash
1: Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again,
0: the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, it's counting. It's going. It's doing it. Today we're going to talk about the hookah culture bed here at Wheaton Labs. And uh, let's see, I think it was built for, well, the first part was built four years ago. So the stuff that's behind the house and near the house, like, well, near the back of the house, the Fisher Price house, is... Uh, more than four years old. I think it was kind of mostly built in the fall of our first year here, I think. No, wait. No, it was the spring. We'd been here almost a year when we first started building it because Tony was driving the excavator, and so that would have been the spring, I think, pretty sure. I wasn't here. Yeah, maybe it was the fall. So maybe these are only three years old. All right. <clears throat> So, uh, then it was probably another year until it was finished. In fact, you were here when they were finished. They were finished. You mean like the extra parts lower down? What do you mean finished? Right. Well, so this first Culture bed, I think was... It was all done when you were here. And then the part that is next to what we call the library parking lot, that part was not quite finished yet. Right, that got taller. And then while you were here it got taller. Now you've been here a little over three years. Yes. Okay. Just over three. So I think it's fair to say that and then that was, when it was getting finished that was like the summer so yeah, but I think it's fair to say it was about three years ago that the last of these got finished. And so, um, the first of them it was four years ago, and then, um, it was shortly before you arrived that the first paddock was built, right, like a month or less, yeah, or two I don't know and and so before that, the deer and the wild turkeys just obliterated everything, and then, um, once the paddock was up, then at least the stuff that was inside the paddock didn't get obliterated, so we so basically. Skipping ahead, and then we'll, we'll come back and we'll finish this part up. The the Hoogl culture, a lot of the the older huggle culture is doing extremely well. It is now a jungle of sorts, hmm. and it's getting junglier. It's pretty jungly. And then and then the stuff that's the newest stuff is thinking it might be a jungle next year. It's looking pretty. It's looking way more jungly than last year, but it's not as jungly as the oldest stuff. Right. If you look. You can still see some bare
1: dirt in there, but lots of tall plants all around. Right,
0: right. So um, I I think it's important to talk about how um, uh, the first couple of years that, that, um, so let's see, three years ago and two years ago, we planted a lot of seeds, um, which were just either killed by that freak drought, the first year you were here, um, June is typically our wettest month of the year, and we had a pretty typical June this, this year. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that first year, it was like not a drop of rain. It was a crazy, we planted a whole bunch of seeds. There was just enough moisture for them to germinate, and then a serious lack of moisture, and then they died. And, and a lot of this huckle culture, we put either sand from Arrakis, so it's got wood in it. But it's sand from Arrakis or sand from Arrakis mixed with topsoil from the lab. And the topsoil wasn't the greatest. It was some pretty weak, weedy, sparsely weeded topsoil. Yes. So calling <laughs> it, calling it topsoil is a bit of a stretch. So it's kind of like, all right, so the first few years we're kind of building the soil. Not a problem. And so part of the building the soil mission is, is like, plant lots of things whatever grows grows and it's going to be your pioneer species it's going to build your your soil and um a lot of the stuff that's already growing all over the place around here attempted to get established a lot of a lot of napweed tried to get started and we pulled that all out napweed is not uh, a team player it's not a, a permaculture plant it's allelopathic it poisons other plants um so, uh, uh, the first year, deer and wild turkeys obliterated everything. Uh, a bunch of people sent us a bunch of pennycrest seeds and it's like, you could just see the turkeys finding every little sprout and picking it out. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then the deer, I mean, like a lot of fruit trees, uh, you know, you could just see where the deer have chomped down all the branches. Um, so it's, it's not, it's, and then the second, the, the next year was the year of the chipmunks and the rabbits. You know, so we got the paddock up and that kept the deer, kept the deer out and it kept the wild turkeys mostly out. Um, and then we kind of started getting a policy of like, whenever I saw the wild turkeys anywhere near the berms, I would try to chase them off. Um, but, uh, the second year was chipmunks and rabbits. And you'd walk outside, and it was uh, like the berm was alive with motion (laughs) as all this life just seethed over it. Then then for a little bit, it seemed like the chipmunk population was dropping. And that's when we found that stoat that looked like it had been involved in a drive-by shooting. Yeah, little dead weasel. Yeah, and so um, uh, I think the chipmunks hired out a hit on the stoat. Um, you know, they're protecting their families. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, so that the stoat body was left in the middle of the of the path down to the turtle lot. Maybe maybe the chipmunks were trying to send us a message. Yeah, as a, as a warning. Yeah, yeah, this could be you next. <laughs> humans, you know, just let you know who runs this place. Uh, And then uh, this last winter, um, uh, well, you know, in fact, the funny thing is Bill Krim has been sending us every Christmas these fat Amazon gift cards. And uh, one will say, you know, for world domination, you know, do whatever it takes from Amazon to to commit acts of world domination and then the other one would be like uh, for pure silly fun which was always a challenge but this year he had a lot of details in it it was like kittens and puppies and pies and accessories thereof and um, so we're trying to think like what would that be so Jocelyn got the idea of like all right, let's get uh, a heated water bowl because she saw some cat footprints around and she thought we need to have a cat around to do something about the chipmunks and uh, the rabbits. So she got a heated water bowl that was thinking it's like, you know, the kitten aspect of of what was in this gift card and, uh, sure enough, the, the cat footprints increased, and so it's a feral cat. And, um, and then so every once in a while, Jocelyn would catch sight of it, and I saw it a couple times. And then Jocelyn started putting snacks out for it, along with the water. And, um, and then over months and months and months, uh, Jocelyn and this cat developed, uh, they're now BFFs. And, and now the cat every day wants to sit on Jocelyn's lap. Um, uh, the cat will maybe uh, one day out of 15 allow me to touch it <laughs> and pet it. One time it sat on my lap, but I think it thought I was Jocelyn there for because I was sitting next to Jocelyn. Um, but now we have a jungle. And I haven't seen a chipmunk around here or a rabbit. I Well, except for the ones that the cat was eating. <laughs> like, the cat now goes out and gets something and brings it over and like, hey, want to watch me eat this? <laughs> and uh, it's also caught a few birds, and Jocelyn uh, tries to explain to the cat, no birds, no lizards, and uh, and the cat looks on appreciatively like, okay, fine, um, and still, you know, brings in some birds and lizards too. Um, but uh, I'm saying... It looks very jungly. Is that a fair assessment? It's super lush. Yes. Yes. And the trees are coming on. Um, I'm I'm not ready to swing from tree to tree just yet. Um, and <laughs> that and might slow them down a bit. I can't do Tarzan. <laughs> it might misshape the trees too. Yeah, yeah. It might slow them down in the but, um, growth they have planned. Uh, oh, and, and, uh, um, so I got all these notes about, about Hoogle culture, and, uh, the Hoogle culture, biz. I was going to record this other thing, because the Rocket Ovens podcast is going, or not the Rocket Ovens, we were going to do a Rocket Ovens podcast because the Rocket Ovens Kickstarter is going right now, and, um, but we'll do that later. Now I'm going to find my notes about Hoogle culture. Is this all right with you, Fred? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay, all right. So... Behind the house, and, and I think it's important to point out that, like, okay, the Fisher-Price house is sitting, I mean, the whole property here at base camp is one giant rock. The lab has subsoil that's 40 feet deep. And so it's it, it looks like they carved out a shelf in the side of the Rocky Mountains out of solid rock to put the Fisher-Price house. No, I don't think it looks like that. I think that's what they did. Yeah. <laughs> uh. uh and it's what they did, which is why it looks like that's what they did. <laughs> I'm, I'm using my permaculture observation skills. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and when you look at the uphill side, you're looking at, you know, oh, this is what the soil profile, profile looks like. You can see it cut right into it. And, uh, ooh, look at that layer of soil by which I mean, there is zero. <laughs> it's just it's just rock. Yeah, <laughs> there's a slight dusting. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's dust on top of the rock in a couple of spots. I'm amazed that trees grow here at base camp. Uh, you know where we haven't artificially added soil, um, but there are some. There are some trees. There's a uh, uh, conifer. Uh, somehow they're finding a way to to grow in this rock. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's
1: a couple little maples and. Willows, but not many, mostly right.
0: just conifers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what we did is that there was a pathetic excuse for a yard, which looked like a dirt patch. Um, now, I, so I'm sorry, Fred, this is, this is before your time here, but it was like dirt with little sprigs of grass and weeds growing out of it. But I think that they wanted somebody to someday put in a yard. A very tiny yard. Mm-hmm. And then you got to, like, I guess, I don't know, they, they thought, ooh, somebody's going to put in a yard and then they're going to put out a lawn chair and they're going to sit in this teeny tiny yard and stare at the road. Um, like, that's a way to pass time or something. And I kind of felt like I did not like looking at the road. And I wanted to put in a berm. So um, the the trick is is that the amount of real estate we have for the berm, which is a hugel culture berm, is small. So um, we ended up building this hugo culture bed that is about eleven to twelve feet tall. Maybe in some spots it got to be thirteen feet tall, but it kind of shrunk. Now it's closer to like ten to eleven feet tall. Um, and it's very, very steep. It's very narrow. It is a skinny hugel culture bed. But it had to be because otherwise, because we needed to be able to walk between the house and the hugel culture bed. And, um, and that didn't leave very much space. So yeah, the
1: Fisher Price house wouldn't. Worked very good as an earth-sheltered house. You probably don't want to
0: pile dirt on that wall. <laughs> very true. Very true. So, um, uh, and then I think the year, yeah, in fact, it was the year you were here. Um, a, a Really, I'm going to leave his name out, but a, a really great permaculture instructor, very artistic, was here. And um, one evening, he spent three hours lecturing me on angle of repose and he is absolutely right and so basically he said he pointed to these culture beds um, and to some of the berms and he said um, not possible uh, impossible can't be done and my response over three and a half hours was and yet there it is um, right before your very eyes the impossible um, and he so the thing is, and I tried to explain it to him, and he found these unacceptable responses, is not only is there hugel culture in there, uh, lots of, you know, logs and, and branches and twigs, um, complete with some of them have their branches still, but there's, um, they're going not just lengthwise, but they're crisscrossing all over the place. And so this adds structural integrity to the hugel culture bed. So it's able to hold this mind-boggling steep um, violation of angle of repose, and so it's been three years. So some of some of that hogo culture that's out there is four years old. In fact, a part that's like right behind the Fisher Price house, that part is four years old, and that part there's parts of that that are damn near vertical. A a hugel wall. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hugel wall. And it's still violating these principles of angle of repose. Um, Now, granted, it's kind of like little bits of it are crumbling off and piling up here and there, but um, not that much. I mean, he was pretty adamant that it wasn't going to last more than a month or two. And um, in the meantime, we've got lots of stuff growing in it, shooting roots all through it that are going to help hold it in that shape for quite a long time
1: in In the geologic sense of time, it, it, it's not going to last. It's true, but in in you know using it to block sight and sound and grow things, it should last at least
0: several more years. But you know hopefully well i'm I'm going to estimate that the Hugo culture that's out in front of the house is going to i mean, it is going to shrink. Um, and I think it's probably down to, let's say, 10 and a half feet on average now. And I'm going to say that 10 years from now, it's going to be 9 feet. Um, and um, maybe by then, our living fence, perimeter fence, will be planted and doing well. And um, then, you know, we will still have deleted that road. Um, but we'll have this, um, you know, the the hugelkultur. The and we'll have a culture garden right there. Yeah. And it'll be thriving and awesome and amazing. Um, all right. The next item I have is that we're recording this in the month of July. And we just went out and, and had a look at it. Today is July the 5th.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, oh, and I should say, too, that thanks to the Patreon people, um we were having a really slow turnaround, waiting for people to write descriptions and stuff and, and get the whole thing sorted. And uh, when the Patreon supporters found out about it, um, I think five of them volunteered to write the descriptions. And several of them said that they think that they could do 24-hour turnaround time. And so then uh, the the podcasts would get out faster, which would mean that we would record more. Because I kind of feel like last year... There were 20 podcasts that we didn't record because the system was getting plugged with podcasts. And so now I think that that's resolved. Yay! Thank you, Patreon people. <laughs> all right. Um, let's see. Oh, the next item I have on my list. Do you have a list? No. It's all on my list? It's all my list. Yeah, for this part, you yeah, you made the list. I made the list. Okay. All right. One of the things that we do is boot camp for perennials. And so there were a lot of people have come by and they've donated uh, a variety of plants, including a lot of fruit trees. Um, we bought some a couple of years ago uh, with the idea that these are um, like we bought a lot of uh, known winter keeper varieties that do really well in cold climates. And uh, with the idea that we wanted to start, you know, Saving the seeds and planting from seed uh, these these varieties so it'd be it crosses between them um, and uh, most of them have died most of most of those uh transplanted trees have died i mean the 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 soil was closer to a dirt we're we're building the soil still Um But we still kind of say it's a boot camp for perennials. So there's been rhubarbs that have died. Um, There have been um, a variety of... I mean, basically, a bunch of perennials that have planted that did not survive the boot camp. And the ones that are still there are the ones that did survive the boot camp. And so these are the ones we want to encourage. And I think that this is part of, like, basically doing kind of like the land race thing, only I didn't think of it as land race at the time. Um, But we uh we didn't do a lot to um give them a a lovely home to get started in. I mean we did put them into the hugel culture near the bottom, so that's where it should be the wettest mm-hmm. um i I don't think we mulched them very much, did we? I mean maybe a couple of them, but most of them I think were the not transplants, mulched. yeah, the transplants
1: um I mean, I think we mulched. We mulched the whole berm, so, you know, we were trying to build soil, so they were part of that getting mulched effort. But not like this year, where we've been
0: doing lots of chop and drop on them. Well, there's been a lot of material to chop and drop this year. Yeah. Um, In past years, we did find a source of hay that we feel confident does not have persistent herbicides, and we used some of that. Um, we found some, uh, a source for some wood chips that we felt confident does not contain persistent herbicides. So we used some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we slowly were building organic matter and we've been kind of hauling material down off of the hillside and throwing that onto the beds. Um, another thing is, is that when mulching, uh, we've had some people come through to say that it's impossible to mulch. And, um, I've never felt that it was impossible. I just feel like there's ways that are better or easier than others. They were saying that because it's so steep. Because it's so steep, yeah. Like, you can't get the mulch to stay up there. And um, now that there's a lot of growies on there that are, like, undesirables, undesirable perennials, um, I kind of prune those back and then throw mulch around them, and they hold the mulch up for other things. Um, and then there was the first year, or last year, last year the year before, a lot of mullein. We, we actually put a lot of mullein seed up there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we left the dead mullein stalks up, and they helped to hold up mulch. And then there were spots where we would take two sticks, two fairly long sticks, and we would tie them together uh, with a bit of um, jute. And then throw one stick over the top so that you got you know each stick is kind of hanging down the other side, and then we would kind of hook sticks to sticks and then start throwing mulch on that and and it would hold the mulch up. Um, it's just not as straightforward as when they're when you have flat ground, mm-hmm. but I don't know I I don't feel like I've had any challenge with mulch like if I'm chopping and dropping comfrey I just Grab a handful of country, chop, and then go lay it down somewhere and it stays. I haven't had any problems. Have you?
1: Uh, I mean, this year it's much easier because there's more stuff. There's stuff to stick it with. Yeah. It kind of holds it up. Um, but yeah, like when we were putting the sawdust on, a lot of it wanted to come down to the bottom of the berm.
0: Right. So. And it's kind of like, oh, well you know yeah what sticks sticks and what doesn't doesn't um but it also kind of seems like um i mean there's still like that one that's out by the library parking lot um i mean there's a lot of wood chips there yeah and um you know they're they're up there but that that berm's not as steep as some of the others either that's right yeah and these are all Hugel cultures by the way i should we're only talking about in fact before starting this podcast, we specifically decided that we're going to talk only about hugu culture and we're not going to talk about um the berms that don't have any Hoogly bits in them so just the just the just the one two three hugoo culture beds that are near the house, Yeah. yeah, and one of them is especially long, and so um so that one in particular. But, all right. Um, boot camp for perennials. Uh, some rhubarbs, I mean, some of the rhubarbs have gone through the boot camp, and then after the boot camp, they come back and they're massive and happy plants. Um, and then I've seen some rhubarbs took a long time to get started this year. And they don't look like massive, happy plants. And two of the b- rhubarbs that you're pointing out today, they look like they're already going to go into their summer dormancy. And they haven't been out very much this year.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure wh- why. <laughs> but, yeah, some of them are further along. Well,
0: that's on some of the newest um, hugelkultur beds. And so I, I imagine that that soil is um, the poorest. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's south-facing. It's a pretty hot spot and not a lot of mulch built up on the ground. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's going to turn out to be that that's just not a good rhubarb spot. Or maybe next year it'll be... It'll come back and be massive and magnificent. Speaking of massive and magnificent rhubarb, um, that one plant that's like near the opening to the turtle lot... um, That one had, that one looked the most magnificent this year, and it had a bunch of leaves that were like two, maybe even two and a half feet in diameter, just massive, huge leaves. And then somebody, we we had the peasant PDC, and they were a little heavy on over-harvesting our rhubarb, (laughs) and then followed by somebody who was new to harvesting rhubarb who went out and just way over-harvested. And uh, and today, you can see it's like trying to put out some new leaves and make a comeback. But that magnificent specimen now (laughs) looks kind of pathetic. Right. During one of the tours with the Peasant PDC
1: folks, uh, they were all taking off leaves and chewing on the stems, just eating it raw. I think one of them ate three (laughs) stems during that
0: tour. (laughs) So I think we've got like... I I think that last year we had um, maybe a dozen rhubarb plants, and this year we're down to maybe eight. But um, there, there was the we did see some babies next to one down by one of the berms down in the Turtle Lot. So go rhubarb! That's that's one of the ones that we didn't get
1: to the flower stock in time, and it went to seed. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it made babies. Um, All right. The transplanted fruit trees, most of them have died. Um, I mean, they are put into something that's basically dirt. They may have been mulched. They may have been mulched late. Um, you know, plus last year was a very warm, very dry year. Yeah. And so, um, uh, at the same time, fruit trees, I think uh, fruit trees that were planted from seed or from pit, um, pretty much the same story. Most of them didn't make it. Um, but in both cases, there are a few that did. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to say that when we were out there looking at fruit trees, there's probably about eight to twelve or so that 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 are from cedar pit that are still going. Um, and then for transplanted fruit trees, I'm going to guess that just on the hoga culture beds, there's probably eight. Does that sound about right? Maybe six, six to eight, something six like that. Six to eight, okay, yeah. Um, and it's possible that this year even fewer will make it. Now, um, the fruit trees that are that are currently growing out there from seed are peach and apple and apricot. And I think I think most of the ones we're thinking of, and one of the apples could be that Anatocova. Somebody sent us a bunch of Anatocova seeds. Go Anatocova! Those are supposed to be very big, very productive trees. Yeah. Very, very tolerant of extremely uh, cold soils. And so that'll be exciting when it gets to be really huge. So, um, and then the, I'm excited because there's um, a, a lot of fruit trees that were planted this year from seed or pit. And we're starting to find them and discover them. And um, because it's kind of like you go out and you plant them all, and who knows how many we're going to take. And especially because some of the places we're planting them, the soil is... Horrible. Yeah, and it's like, good luck, trees.
1: Yeah, a lot of them aren't gonna sprout. Of those, some aren't gonna make it through the summer, and then of those, some aren't gonna make it through the winter. <laughs> and so.
0: Right. And and then we just keep sticking these. In fact, um, uh, cherries are on right now, and we've been uh, we we've selected some cherries that come from uh, that are organic and local. And we're saving all the pits, and, and we'll just start planting them everywhere here um, probably over the next uh, few days. Yeah. And we'll call that Plan A. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, the uh, speaking of boot camp program, the boot camp program for human beings uh, went uh, quite well this year. Um, uh, we don't have any boots right now. They're all gone. Um, because they all fell in love, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, there were uh guys, um, I guess that were just too awesome at the um, uh, 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 peasant PDC, and so then it's like they they took off with with our boots, yeah, and it's like, you know, well, damn, um. So there's there's uh, there's openings in the boot camp program right now um, but, um, uh, but until until they show up I guess you know and I've been going out there planting some stuff I I've been, I've been doing a little bit not very much but some um, um, which by the way uh, uh, you've, you've seen my Kickstarter and my Kickstarter video this is the part where I, I would like you to tell me that the Kickstarter video is really awesome. Uh, it was really awesome. <laughs> it was entertaining. Oh, good. Oh, good. I And so I think uh, Dan and I po- polished it a lot. I think it turned out pretty fun. And it's only like two minutes long, which is about as long as a Kickstarter video should be.
1: Right. So you, you were putting in tons of work onto that and less outside. Yeah. But you did, you've been doing quite a bit of chop and drop.
0: Yes. I've um, been going out doing little projects. We built um, a retaining wall, a dry stack retaining wall. And we were getting started on making a moon gate. Because one of the boots wanted in his uh, soul labor time to build a moon gate, and so I was helping a little bit, but um, the boots were doing most of it, and um, I was very excited about it. But now it's not done. We have another not done project, but um, I think that moon gate's going to be fun, and I'm going to I'm probably going to go out there and work on it quite a bit, you know. When it cools off, yeah. So, but in fact, we've got. When it comes to structures on this Hulu culture bed, it's so steep, it's difficult to get like five feet up and get to stuff that's five feet up. So, we talked in the past about this siege ladder idea, and um, along those lines, instead, uh, we we had some huge logs that were cut and peeled for some project and they didn't get used for that and so they're starting to rot. And so, um, we went and we pulled them over and, uh, plopped them onto, uh, one of these hugel culture beds right next to the house. And, um, the, uh, the two logs, um, we're really heavy. <laughs> really, really heavy. Tur- turns out when you leave a log sitting
1: on the ground over winter, it gets heavy.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it sucked up every bit of water it could find and got very heavy. And, uh, but we got them, we got those two logs placed. One of them, uh, quite, uh, vertically and the other one not so much. It's, uh, mm-hmm. kind of a 45 degree angle. Might even be a gentler slope than that. So, uh, then I've now cut notches in those two logs, and I have another log that I moved over there. And um, and I'm proud to say I moved it <laughs> because of my Herculean strength. Also a tractor. And a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, uh, Jocelyn and I had been going out um, almost every day and whittling on the ends of that log to get it to fit into those two little slots that we made. And uh, we're not quite done yet. And, but, but we're going to make kind of like this uh, scaffolding. And we'll cut uh, steps into that log that... Well, into both of the, the uh, horizontal-ish logs. And then the, uh, the, the new log that we're putting up there will be um, horizontal. Am I saying this right? Yeah. No, the vertical-ish. The vertical-ish logs will have steps carved into them. And then the horizontal log will not... But it'll it'll like be a place where you could walk, and it might then, be harder to use if it has steps cut into the horizontal log that's that's true. That's a very good point, very good point. And then I hope to add organic matter to the point that it fills up to the log, and so then the uh, these these culture beds will get even fatter in time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, fatten them up a bit with some good organic matter. Uh, and so that's a cool project that's going on. That's that's definitely roundwood timber framing stuff. And we'll find out how mm-hmm. much I suck at that. Oh, when we try and match the notches up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As we're trying to lift it with the with the tractor and get that log in place. Um, all right, let's talk about the growies that are growing there and all of the reasons why and all of the because there's there are food crops. First on the list, sepulcher grain. Not a lot. But there's little patches where we obviously must have dropped a seed head or something, and they took root. Yeah, most of them we reserved to put in our protected
1: uh, nursery, our gulag. Gulag number two, the the new and improved gulag. But but we had a few extras, so we did stick them out.
0: Oh, okay. In, in less protected spots. All right. All right, so these are intentionally planted. Yeah. Okay, all right, all right. And so you can spot the sepulcher grain pretty easily because it's kind of a blue color and, of course, taller than everything else around it. And it has a big fat grain head
1: growing on the top of it. Already,
0: yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's getting ready. It's, it's grooving on that space. So we've got... It's all over the place um, in little patches. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's... Um, uh it's it's not like it's taking over or anything like that.
1: No.
0: But um and then the gulag, the, the sepulchre grain in there looks kinda pathetic. It's maybe four or five feet tall? Yeah. Maybe. It's only it's only four or five feet tall. The other stuff is a good five to six feet tall. And then of course it's up on a berm which has got better soil. Yeah, and and it's above us, so you know it's way above us. But I'm guessing it's probably five or six feet tall now. Yeah, so it's
1: the stuff on the on the Hugo Berms is doing much better.
0: Yeah, than yeah. the stuff in the Gulag. It just on seems the like rock. <laughs> the the stuff yeah, which is on a rock, which we added some sawdust to just to give it something to put roots into. Mm-hmm. Um, to have because it is it's like a, it's, it's it's one of those spots where it's just solid rock but hey it's supposed to do really good on solid rock you know or on poor soils but i think this is such a poor soil you can't call it soil you can't even call it dirt it's it it is a rock yeah
1: if i'm remembering correctly the way they built that structure it's all above ground because it's on a rock yeah you can't make post holes it's not skiddable
0: but you know it's right. Nearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could if you if you pushed it on one end, it would probably move. Yeah. <laughs> True. So lots of sepulchre grain. Uh very happy on, on these Hugo culture beds. Uh potatoes. I didn't plant any potatoes in the last two years. Yeah. I'm guessing that all of the potatoes and there's probably forty potato plants that I've seen And there's probably another 20 that I haven't seen yet that are buried. Like, they've got so much other stuff growing around them that they're just invisible. But um, I'm going to guess all of them are volunteers. Like, there was a potato plant. Because I know we harvested a bunch of potatoes last year. Right. We planted and harvested potatoes last year. Yeah.
1: I don't remember. Well, I know I didn't plant any potatoes this year. I'm
0: not sure if anyone in the boot camp did, but I'm guessing not. So these are, vo- I think that they're volunteer potatoes. Um, another interesting thing is, is that um, the first year I was here, um, I started seeing what I thought was bindweed, and I kept pulling it out whenever I would see it. And then I think it was three years ago that you and Kai identified it and said, no, it's it's not bindweed. Yeah, it's wild buckwheat. Right. So and, the
1: and le- the leaves look very similar to the bindweed, but the flowers look very different.
0: And the wild buckwheat, whereas buckwheat is like grows on a very tender stem that's very straight, this wild buckwheat is viney, mm-hmm. and it is a tender vine, a very tender vine. Yeah. Um, but it it's viney like the way bindweed is viney, and the leaf looks like a bindweed leaf, and and so then we kind of nervously sat back, and it was like, because it looks like bindweed, and then and then you were pointing at some infinitesimally <laughs> tiny detail, and like, see where the leaf meets the stem, see that's how you know, and I'm kind of like. That I I'm not I'm not seeing the thing you're saying, but you know what? I'll I'll trust you. And sure enough, later it comes up with a bunch of buckwheat blossoms. Not, right. not the bindweed blossom that looks like morning glory. The uh, single petal flower look. Right. These are these are like lots of little flowers. Um and so, okay, definitely not bindweed. And it loves ogle culture. <laughs> <laughs> It. And there's that one little bit of um, sepulcher grain growing next to that giant rhubarb plant, mm. and the and the wild buckwheat has fallen in love with that sepulcher plant and has just wrapped itself around there a hundred times, and is now growing taller than the sepulcher plant, the sepulcher uh, uh, grain. Yeah. So... Um, I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. I'm very excited about this wild buckwheat. And it's like if you pick a spot where you don't want it, it just rips out so easy. You just grab a handful and pull, and it's like, that's it. It's done. And now you've got this lovely, delicious soil underneath it. Yeah, not um, not like a bindweed root. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like if you, if, if you pull it out, it does not grow back. It's like, oh, I'm dead. Yeah. And now I'm going to turn all my roots into soil. <laughs> you know, what a, what a pleasant, lovely garden, you know, uh, living mulch. <laughs> it's amazing stuff. Uh, sun chokes. Uh, we put a bunch on the top edge and, and it's like every, every year, um The few sunchokes that are up there, they 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 make this. They they have an expression that says, "I'm dying. This is it. I'm gone. It's over. The end. I'm dead." Ah. And then the next year, I'm back.
1: <laughs> Did you miss me? It seems like they're coming back a little lower down the burn each year. They're like. Each year, they're like, I'm not going to put my roots here. I'm going to I'm gonna put them a little further down. And then the next year, they, right. they're just not as far up the berm. They don't,
0: they don't quite like it on that top. On the tippy top. Yeah. Yeah. And and then, of course, somehow they must um, uh, poop out sunchokes out of the side of the berm somewhere. Because then there's, like, sunchokes... That are getting started like halfway down the berm. It's like nobody put you there, right? You know, well, maybe it's a turkey foot or something. That's right. It's probably enhancements from the turkeys. <laughs> That's right. That must be what it is. Um, prickly lettuce. This is the year of the prickly lettuce. It's edible. Um, if you suck on those stems, I guess you'll get a uh, you'll get high. What what is? It's, uh,
1: I mean, it has an it's, opioid. It's an um, opioid. Yeah. It's not part of the. You know, addiction epidemic that's going on. But it it is, there's an opioid in there. Yeah. Uh, But it is terribly, terribly bitter. Um, And so when you say it's edible, it's only slightly edible when it's very
0: young. Yeah. (laughs) At the right age, you can cut off leaves. But somehow this year, it's going crazy. And so, um, of course, most of the plants that people choose to fear are plants that Permies love but i got to say there's too much of this and so it's been helping out in the chop and drop right. department it's grown a lot of mulch for us. <clears throat> yes yes an in- incredible amount of organic matter uh napweed there was some napweed last year and we got rid of it yeah i don't i don't know if there's any on these hugelberms. berms i haven't seen any napweed this year um and so i think we've we've got it all under control Cheat grass, got plenty of that. A little too much. Yeah, yeah. And that's one. But I've been kind of letting it go because it's like, man, that's organic matter. And, uh, you know, the other thing is, is that the previous two years we planted so many seeds and and very few of those things made it. Yeah. And for all the reasons we talked about. And so I think that we didn't want to get too carried away planting a bunch of garden seeds into end of things this year because it's like it'll probably get eaten by something, <laughs> right? And so then and then it's like what a beautiful surprise to have the jungle just like like I think we've got I'm gonna say 15 to 20 times more organic matter popping out of the hugel culture this year than last year. It's it's massive, yeah. Yeah, and so clearly next year we're going to have a magnificent garden. Um, and there's tons of food growing in it and, and coming out of it, but I think next year we'll be able to grow ten times more food, and it's going to be more intentional. More recognizable. and recognizable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's been spots where there's like, okay, there's a bunch of cheatgrass growing there, but, yeah, let it go. Yeah, don't take your socks up there. True. Fruit, that grass is lusting after my socks. Um, which, by the way, uh, Jocelyn made me those lovely socks um, with the uh, indigo dye. Oh, your ninja socks. So, they're not, so now they're ninja socks, because apparently the ninjas... No, no, wait. They're samurai socks. Oh, they're samurai socks. Because okay. the samurai would dye a bunch of stuff indigo, and apparently indigo makes your clothes more uh, fire-resistant, and also, I think it's like more just durable. Like they'll last longer. Hmm. Um, uh, they might be able to uh, deflect arrows a little bit better. I'm not, I was, you know, seem to be part of it. But um, there was a bunch of these amazing properties. Oh, uh, more biological uh, resistance. So like, uh, uh, if you get a cut, then it's antibacterial, hmm. and it kind of helps to add a. It makes a great uh, bandage. Oh right. So it's like if your clothes have like you've got uh, arrows that have pierced your clothes and you're wearing indigo dyed stuff on the inside, you got a better chance of healing up. Right. Yeah. So uh, apparently indigo is very important if you're a samurai. I'll, you should write that down. I'll write that down. Yeah, yeah. So don't forget. All right. Yeah. Um, tall fescue. Now we have a very particular variety of some very expensive tall fescue seed and uh, tall fescue does extremely well in droughty areas because it has a fungus in it an endophyte And uh, but the endophyte that naturally occurs in most tall fescue um, uh, makes ruminants very sad so if ruminants were to come down here and eat this tall fescue grass they would get sick um, and so then there got to be, for years, there was uh, a tall fescue that contained no endophytes. Um, but it was a pathetic grass. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's the point? Um, and uh, uh, now we got some stuff where it was like discovered, a, a, a ruminant-friendly endophyte tall fescue. And the seed was really expensive. And we bought it and we planted it in certain spots, and um, uh, I think we planted it a couple years ago, and we saw little bits of grasses here and there, and it didn't look like much. But this year, it has made jungles. Don't go in the long glass! So, we don't have Velis raptors, but we do have very tall grass where this stuff is planted. It has been amazing for chop and drop. It almost buried our trail to go down to the turtle lot. <laughs> um, I hacked it back. Yeah. Um, and I've been hacking it and finding uh, other things that have survived that are under the grass, and I'm trying to expose those things. Like today, you spotted a potato, and and you were, like, pulling up some of the grass to kind of expose the potato better. Right. Yeah. And so, um, uh, this grass is super duper happy. And this was on really awful, awful dirt that's on the backside of, uh, the hugel culture next to the library. It was really just sand. Yeah. It was pretty much sand from Arrakis. Yeah. Um, we were putting like, when we built these hugel culture beds, we were putting sand from Arrakis on the back. And then on the front, we were doing a 50-50 mix of sand from arrakis and topsoil from the lab. And throughout it all was hugelkultur logs every which way mm-hmm. to give it structural integrity and, of course, the magic of hugelkultur. So, um and, and plus, I think a great thing is is that I think the berms do a, a really good job of making it more of a... So these are the hugelkultur berms, uh, are, of making it more of a sanctuary. Um, so we have less road you know um when we're walking around back there then um more road and then another thing is is that sometimes i would go out there before they were there and i was like i'm going to add, i want to fertilize this pathetic patch of dead grass yeah and then a car would go by <laughs> and now i'm i was kind of feeling like oh um this isn't working for me, <laughs> and and so now now it's not a problem. I can I can go out there and make the the grasses and the other plants very happy, and I do, and I and it's I don't feel uh, nervous yeah. at all. So well, and they firmed up that path, which was really just through the loose true. grass, and now you know right. So we had a path going through sand, and it kind of was always. Moving smushing <laughs> and and we're constantly kind of carving it more uphill kind of a thing and now that, that path has gotten to be very solid although a horse came up at this year a horse got out of one of the neighbors and came to visit and pretty well destroyed our path but we rebuilt it fairly quickly and we just stuck the grasses back and they took root quickly yeah. and yeah. they repaired it you know like within a week yeah. thanks grasses <laughs> Um, so these are amazing grasses. Um, all right, next up, some peas. All the peas this year look pretty sad and pathetic. I haven't seen any peas that are like, that's an amazing looking pea plant.
1: There's a couple, but yeah, mo- most of the peas weren't doing that good this year.
0: Yeah, they just, they for something there's something about this year they weren't that that happy. But we didn't irrigate at all this year. No,
1: but we might have planted them like a week or two late. That's true.
0: That's true. Uh, the, the rhubarb we've already talked about. We've eaten a lot of rhubarb everything this year, mm-hmm. and um, there's still rhubarb left. Um, and we were mentioning that the peasants, uh, peasant PDC people, the peasant PDC students, came down and had a lot of rhubarb too. So there's been lots to go around. Yeah. And um, I really like rhubarb plants, and I hope that we have more and more and more. Snowberries, also known as buckbrush, mm-hmm. um, we've got some of that growing in the berms and uh next spring when we start doing a full-on uh hugelkultur garden um i think i'm going to trim all of the snowberries and the saskatoons down to like six inches just enough so that they might hold up the mulch yeah, but those are not our primary crops. I mean, those are two things that grow all over the place. And if all of the snowberry were to disappear completely off of both base camp and the lab, I would be totally okay with that. We've got all kinds of other stuff to plant. Um, and and, and uh, I don't know. Do you do you have any attack? I mean, snowberries are nitrogen fixers, hmm. but the bumblebees like them. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I've I've cut them back a little bit on the berms before, but not like total. You know, I've not tried to ever tried to get rid of them, but cut them back so that they can hold other mulch in place.
0: Right. And I kind of feel like eventually there'll be other permies living at base camp year round, and they'll build more hugel cultures and berms and things like that, and then. Um, Wherever they have a zone one and zone two, they're probably going to remove all the snowberries and Saskatoon's. One thing is, is that we have thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Saskatoon's already. Um, you know, uh, also called uh, service berries, mm-hmm. uh, also called June berries. Um, in fact, uh, years ago, I was visiting with a guy, and um, he said, "I don't like that service berry." that's growing out in my yard and and so I'm gonna take that out and I got my uh, tree catalog here and I've decided to replace it with a saskatoon yeah <laughs> listen to this listen to the description for this so he reads it off and, and it's like okay buddy you're gonna hate me for telling you this <laughs> so um, uh, all right so saskatoons so we got so many of them here I'm, I'm saying uh, I'm going to go ahead and say 10,000 Saskatoon's on the lab and base camp combined. Um, am I exaggerating? I I I don't know. I mean, there's lots. There's lots. I
1: haven't even tried to count how many would be in each acre.
0: They're they're grown <laughs> like weeds all over the place. But it's so basically what you're saying is plausible, but you haven't personally ca- counted them. I haven't even. Tried to count how many are on my two
1: acres. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's something that, you know, if we got all of them out of the Hugel berms, no big deal. We can walk, you know, just on the other side of the paddock and find some growing there.
0: Okay, all right, all right. Uh yeah, if you so yeah, if you took them out of your zone 1 and zone 2, it's like boy, there's tons of it already in your zone 3 and zone 4. Yeah. And and uh the 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 buckbrush, um the uh snowberries um do, are you finding any value in it other than the bumblebees? Um I haven't heard of much okay. use for it. I don't know. Yeah. I It's growing mulch. <laughs> it's true. It's true chop and drop city, man. Um mm so i'm I'm going to um, slowly eradicate snowberries and saskatoons in my zone one and zone two yeah there's not a good reason to keep it there yeah uh, lamb's quarters tons of lamb's quarters oh man lamb's quarters love hugelkultur. culture mm. and it's a weed um, and we've been eating tons of it oodles of it we've been eating it every day um, uh I find that I'm not a big greens person, but Jocelyn's a great cook, and so when she cooks up uh, lamb's quarters, it seems to be fine to me. You can eat it raw. I've eaten it raw out there. It's okay. Mm. I'm not thinking, like, you know, it's as good as pie, but um, (laughs) it's it's all right. But, boy, there's tons of it. And so, I've been kind of like, if it's growing next to something that I want to see do better, I'll chop and drop. I'll chop the lamb's quarters. Um, but most of the lamb's quarters I'm letting it be. Yeah. Um, what, your, your, so your policy is exactly the same. You got anything else to say about lamb's quarters? Well, I, I wouldn't maybe chop and drop it. I'd chop and chop it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: For food. <laughs> okay, alright. Chop and eat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and take it home. Um, I know Jocelyn's out there harvesting it every day. You know, um, I'm, you know, I wonder if she might try drying some of it soon to, to save some oh, yeah, for the yeah. winter. I know that she's done that, or some of the ants have done that before. Okay, All right. All right. Strawberries. Uh, we have we have uh, fuck tons, metric fuck tons <laughs> of wild strawberries growing everywhere, um, which to me is an indicator of acidic soil. Um, Because strawberries like an acidic soil. Um, And, of course, strawberries are very shallow-rooted. And around here, this whole property has, you know, maybe little pockets of dirt where the strawberries are kind of, you know, like, yeah, well, I can do shallow soil, sure. But we've also got some strawberry varieties that we've intentionally purchased and planted. And they're starting to spread. And I ate one strawberry today that was really, really yummy. But, um, the birds, uh, also like the strawberries. And the cat likes the birds. Yeah, the,
1: uh, the wild strawberries pretty rarely fruit. They don't have the advantage of the Hugel <clears throat> moisture.
0: It's true. We've got a couple of wild strawberries that have gotten into some of our richer soils. Mm. And, and they're very happy. And yeah, and I see some blossoms. I just assume that with the wild strawberries that all the wild critters get to the fruit before I do.
1: I was I was watching some pretty closely this spring, and they the blossoms got fertilized. There was little tiny fruits there, and then the plant decided uh, it hasn't been raining as much. I'm going to not put energy into that fruit, and, you know, the fruit kind of withered. Okay, so it turned into like little... Strawberry raisins. Well, it never ripened. It was yeah. just like yeah, so small
0: and green and pathetic and shriveled. Yeah, okay. I think the plant is like instead going for runners or whatever. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I've I've had some wild strawberries in the past that I found in the wild and ate them, but they were like. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a thing like the size of a like 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 slightly like smaller than a pea. Larger than a BB.
1: The ones we found, uh, we found a bunch out by the Huckleberry Patch. Uh, Those were pea-sized or a little bit bigger. Okay. But I haven't really found any of the ones here, especially not on Base Camp, fruiting.
0: Okay, all right. I confess I've never seen a ripe strawberry on any of the wild strawberries here. Yeah. and uh but we have harvested this year i don't know dozens of uh strawberries that were planted but we didn't plant very many Mm-mm. and it seems like the last couple of years um the strawberries were doing boot camp and they were like not happy with boot camp <laughs> and uh now this year the soil is is richer and better and and it seems like they are happier and they're starting to everything's well of course everything's turning into a jungle now. Yeah. Um next up is garlic.
1: Yeah, uh it's it's almost time to harvest the garlic. Um but it's it's hard to see some of it now because stuff around it has grown up so
0: much. Right. It, it ends up being in the jungle and I don't think garlic likes jungle. Not so much, no. Yeah. But we've had some good garlic harvests in the last couple of years. Um, so, but I don't. Did we did we plant very much garlic last fall?
1: Uh, not a ton, but we did mm. plant some.
0: Yeah. Okay. So it's starting to come up, and walking onions. Who brought those walking onions? I brought uh, a bunch of walking onions from Minnesota. It was like the first thing, that, like your, like day one that you were here. Yeah. I brought you walking onions, and then you <laughs> planted them all over the place. And they are very happy. There's some really big ones, yeah. <laughs> um, I would say there's 20,
1: 25. There's probably more than that, though, but the newest ones, like the ones that we planted in the fall, would be pretty small and
0: unnoticeable right now. I know that Jocelyn uh, cuts the scapes a lot and puts those in her cooking. On the garlic. Oh, is it the garlic scapes? Yeah. That's the, not the walking onion scapes? No. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Woods rose. This is the wild rose. Yeah. That's yeah. just kind of annoying and pokey yeah yeah I think that there's lots of places where it would do a great job of lots of different things, but um where it is on the hookah culture beds, it's um like, <clears throat> I would like it to move along right, and, and uh I think Jocelyn doesn't want me to just simply cut them away; she loves them very much. <laughs> And um, I will give her an opportunity to transplant them.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, they look like little wild roses, and they smell like little wild roses. But unfortunately, they also feel like
0: wild yeah, roses. Yeah, you're, you're trying to get some stuff done, and, and it's a little too stabby, and it's not bringing enough benefit to our Zone 1, Zone 2. Uh, right, right. Yeah. It's like,
1: oh, yeah, this path is a great place to plant a rose, right? No. <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: Birch leaf spirea. Uh,
1: that's just another native that uh, it's it's got uh, it's great for pollinators. It's got lots of flowers on it right now. Uh, but that's another perennial that you really know isn't much I mean we've got so much of it in the surrounding property we don't need it on our Hegel berms.
0: All right. Um, and we've got a bunch of asparagus with capital S. You've got a few. And so, well, I think that, I mean, there's like, in one spot, I know that there are two. And they're threatening me every time I walk by. They're like, <laughs> I don't know, seven and a half feet tall. Yeah. Um, and they're leaning out and they want to they want to grab my head. Right, right. And get back! Get back! Asparagus! But asparagus takes about a good four years to really get good and established. I think these these asparagus are very happy asparagus, and um, they're building a family. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're still getting established and getting going, but in the, and we're letting them go. Just go ahead, be big, be giant, make lots of deep roots. Yeah. We'll see you next year. And we already mm-hmm. ate some asparagus this year, but for the most part we're letting it just go. And we've got, I think, four asparagus patches. Yeah. Yeah. And all four of them have gone through a perennial boot camp. Yep. Yeah, so they're going to last a while. Kale! Lots of kale. Yeah, a lot of volunteer
1: kale. And there's a couple that we seeded, but um, some of it's volunteer from kale we seeded a couple
0: years ago. Um... There's one tomato plant, and I think I think it was the um, the end of when tomato plants were available at the store, and it was like the last tomato plant in some display, and it looked very sad and pathetic, and damaged, and uh, nobody wanted it, so they threw it away. Is that what happened? I think that's where they
1: got. I don't know. I I, I know they got some plants. Some of the people in the peasant PDC got plants that
0: were being thrown away. Sent okay. Sent to the landfill. I all I know is I was told that it looked dead. Yeah. <laughs> and they stuck it in the into the hookah culture. And it's they stuck it in, in a south facing spot. And um uh it has uh, greened up significantly and gotten a little bit bigger, but it still looks kind of pathetic. Yeah. It's straight now. It's not so weepy. Yeah. But it is looking half dead. Today, today (laughs) it looked, I mean, two days ago it looked like, you know, it was going to grow big and kick ass. But today, it's looking pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I just started why are you, what is this heat? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and speaking of the tomato plant, right next door to it is mint. Lots of mint. The mint, I think, Tripled or quadrupled in size this year, as as mint is wont to do. And um, uh, I'm a little nervous about the mint. Now it's all in one spot. Mm-hmm. It um, has grown into a carpet of mint, um, and the, the other plants that are there are doing okay, competing with it. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is uh, it is expanding. Yeah and there's a there's also a, a catnip plant right there which Gert found so the 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 cat that Jocelyn has fallen in love with they've they' they they they're bFFs mm-hmm. we've named this cat this little calico cat we've named it gert and um and and one day we were at the in fact uh we, there was a a wild edibles walk going on, and Gert found this little bit of catnip and started eating it and then you know Abused it. Experiencing the side effects. <laughs> <laughs> loving this catnip plant. It was by all the mint. Yep. Uh, there's some ornamentals, but we're going to probably skip. I mean, Jocelyn's loving some of the ornamentals that she's planted, and mm-hmm. and they're pretty and, and stuff. But we've got lots of space, so no problem. Plant some ornamentals. Um, uh, motherwort. There's a couple of really large motherworts. Very happy. Figwort.
1: Uh, yeah, that's another medicinal that I think uh, Jocelyn got some seeds from a friend, and it looks like it's very happy. I, apparently, the native
0: bees really love that one, too. Lemon balm. That one smells really good. <laughs> oh, here's a good one. Comfrey. Our comfrey is so happy. Yep. It grows to, like, six feet tall, and if you don't chop and drop it, if you don't, like, just grab a big handful and whack it out and then go put it down for a chopper, it will fall over into the path saying, <laughs> use me for something. Yeah. And so of course and if, and another thing is is Jocelyn broke her leg. And and uh, uh we were out there muscling some logs around and uh, she was trying to avoid you know, our project and so she stepped on a rock and twisted her ankle really bad and it broke her leg yeah, and um so she put some uh, she went and got some of the comfrey and and made little poultices and and she's got a little walking cast and and she's proud that she's putting on uh all these miles on her little steppy thing on her phone that um more more than before more than ever and she's got a broken (laughs) leg um so uh, plus she's really uh, she jumped in to to cook for the um, the PDC and ATC this year and it's been amazing yeah people have been loving the food yeah um, and 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 of course you're here so she always provides if you're around if you're gonna come to, to <laughs> any meal always lots of vegan food it's been pretty good yeah as a great. vegan you're you're getting fattened up unfortunately <laughs> all right. Orach.
1: Yep, uh, that's another one that we seeded. It's, it's. Uh, I think some people call it mountain spinach, just another green, edible green. Vetch. Uh, it's there's not as much on the on these Hugo berms as as some of the other berms on the property or some some of the other open spots. spots yeah. yeah, but there is there's a few. And did we plant any? I don't think we planted any, did we? I mean, I mean, I. I know that we've spread out some seeds on some of the other spots where we're trying to build soil, but I don't think we really did any on the berms.
0: Yeah, I think this is all wild. Yeah. And there's lots of wild vetch growing all over the place here. Oh, and mustard. Plenty of mustard growing wild. Yeah, there's a few different kinds of mustard on these berms. Um, great soil builders. Yep. Go mustard! And great chop and drop. Well, shitty chop and chop and drop. I mean, you can you grab it, and you can chop, and chop it and drop it, but it's like it... Uh, It's not like a heavy leaf count. It's kind of a poofy kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah. Timothy and other grasses, uh, which is great for chop and drop. I know that for a lot of the fruit trees where I've been doing chop and drop, I've been grabbing just this, like, I don't know what kind of grass this is, but thank you, grass. Right. Arm arm loads of grass. It's kind of like, oh, what we could do is uh, go and buy bales of hay, like like call them and make a deal, make a time, make an appointment, drive over there, load it up, drive it back, unload it, then one bale at a time, move it to where we want to mulch, and then bust open the bale and start spreading it around, and that's the itchy stuff. Mm. Or what we can do is just grab big fat handfuls of the stuff that's just right there, already, ready to go. And so the chop and drop has been awesome this year. Right. Leave those roots in place and take the take the top. Lots of dandelion and salsify.
1: Yeah, especially right now the salsify is uh, going to seed, so you see
0: the big poofs everywhere. Right. Right. And the dandelion, we've been eating tons of dandelion this year. Um and uh th- we've got I think we planted three different varieties of dandelion seed. That are um, specifically for eating the greens. Hmm. And so we've had some dandelions that are like, look at the size of this one. Yeah, big leaves. Yes. Uh, honeyberry. Jocelyn planted several honeyberry uh, uh, shrubs. Yep. And they make um, small berries. And um, I, apparently they, they're uh, as they're ripening. Uh, the part when they're ripe, it looks exactly the same as the berry that's not ripe. So you go and you start picking berries and it's like Russian roulette. Do you get a delicious berry or do you get a mouthful of sour? (laughs) Well, this is
1: the first year they've really put on many berries. So they're the, I think there's what, all of the different plants. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, Pennycress, we planted Pennycress two and a half years ago if I remember correctly and it was uh, people listening to this podcast that sent us a whole bunch of pennycress seeds from their pennycrest mm-hmm. and I thought the turkeys had obliterated all of them and um uh but boy we've got plenty of pennycress now. Yep. And uh it's doing the magic of pennycress. It's it's awesome. It's great. So I do not chop and drop pennycress. The only time I disturb a pennycress is if it's in a spot where I want something else to grow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um there's clover. Yeah, couple couple kinds at least. Yeah. I haven't seen any of the yellow sweet clover this year.
1: Um, I know I've seen some up on the lab. It's just
0: starting to bloom. Okay. Um, we had tons of it last year. Yeah. Just just oodles of it. And it was, I think, doing a remarkable job building soils on the hugelkultures. Mm-hmm. Um, fever-few? Yeah, there's a few of those. Uh, I think Jocelyn's been using some of the fever-few for some headaches recently. St. John's wort? Yeah, of that's, that. that's a, another... I I use it for chop and drop. Yeah, that's yeah. There's so much of it. It's like, yeah, you're you're going into the chop and drop. Right. That's not something we planted. I don't need any of you. You you have benefits and yeah 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 chop. (laughs) (laughs) Sedum. Yeah, there's a couple that they look really happy this year. (laughs) And then Jocelyn gets she starts to dance and point at uh, the artichoke. That's right. Like, like, you know, she keeps cautioning me to not bury it and chop it. And it's like, don't be thinking that's a thistle. That's an artichoke. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's being very careful. Cause we have had some of the, um, the boots, uh, and they mean very well. And they come to, like, put down some, uh, uh, Ruth Stout style, uh, compost, you know, the, the, the kitchen scraps or uh something and and then something gets destroyed. Yeah and it's like oops. Um so Jocelyn's making sure everybody knows about that artichoke. Daylily. There's a few out there. They they've got a
1: edible blossom and the roots are edible but not really worth it I don't think. You know,
0: I think one important thing about the Hugo culture that we're doing is we've gone to a uh, great lengths to have um, some pretty extreme diversity. Yeah. So, like, the mint is insisting on being a monocrop. And it's like, I don't care, mint. Go ahead. Do that to yourself. Um, and then some of the uh, uh, wild buckwheat is wanting to kind of make a monocrop. But... There's so much of their stuff growing right there. It's like developing a symbiotic relationship with everything else. It's becoming a, a living mulch. Yeah. Um, but very polyculture-esque. Right. So,
1: like, there's a very tall potato, and you realize, oh, that's also a uh, lamb's quarters plant. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're woven
0: together, sort they, of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Lilac. There's one lilac. And I think that, uh, Jocelyn p- bought that at a plant sale. And, uh, she, and she planted it there. And, um, it's, it's been threatened year after year. It's like almost died several times, but it's still going. Right. And, uh, I think this might be its year that it's going to put on a lot of leaves
1: there's a, there's another one that's down there at the base of the uh season extender hugel.
0: yeah, but which we didn't we very carefully protected because Jocelyn's been babying that for two years now, right yeah and and it's still there because of all of the massive protections it has oh, right, right yeah um mullen we had a lot of mullein the last couple of years because I guess the chipmunks and the rabbits don't want to eat it, yeah. <laughs> There's uh there's some spots where there's
1: not any. I mean you can see like the the dead stock from before, but maybe yeah. the soil's
0: improved to the point where it's not growing. I don't know. But well, mullen's a biennial, and I, I like I like what um, Toby Hemingway says that mullen follows people around and heals the earth wherever we go, and then whenever the soil is built like moil mulle, uh, mullen will restore soil and when in the soil is restored mullen politely bows out right and i think part of it is because it's a biennial and so then in that first year its leaves are very low to the ground and then with everything else growing so great then it, the, it doesn't compete it can't compete yeah and so then it dies that first year
1: uh oregon grape
0: there's yeah.
1: there's a, a bit of that i think it, it was
0: in the topsoil we brought from the from the lab from the lab uh, yeah, it's uh it was like it growed it was doing pretty good the last couple of years and so chipmunks and rabbits must not like it very much. So I we kind of mm-hmm. let it go thinking like, well, it's something trying to grow. It's something trying to build the soil, so we just let it let it go. And you know, and this might be another time to mention too, like we haven't put much effort into any of this. I mean, we we I want to say we didn't irrigate, but we did put water on it, which technically is irrigation. Uh, last year, because we were getting those giant embers from the forest fire landing here. And I thought, oh, yeah, let's not have all this catch on fire. Right.
1: Everything was pretty dry last year from months of no rain. And, you know, a berm on fire next to your
0: house doesn't sound like that good of an idea. So when the fire danger was passed, we stopped um, putting water on it. In fact, I think we probably put water on these Culture beds, I want to say... Three times last yeah, year. maybe that's right. I don't know. Yeah, that's a guess. Um, and then the first year you were here and we had that freak um, uh, heat, wave. heat wave desert thing, we hit 107 degrees, which is the hottest it's ever been here. Hmm. I think most summers we don't even get past 100. Um, I think today's the first day it's got up to 90. Yeah, today's kind of warm. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, uh, that first year we did get the fire truck and we loaded it up with water and we tried to like, cause we planted so many seeds and it's like, no, they're all dying. Right. They didn't get a chance, but we, we didn't put that much water, but yeah. Yeah. I think we watered once. Mostly. Yeah. And, and, uh, um, I don't think it helped. It's like uh this this is not soil this is dirt. <laughs> it's like this is what happens when you put seeds in dirt. Yeah. So um but I think I'm I am giving the executive order that it's okay to water like twice this year mm-hmm. because I want to build soil and this was a is this is something we came up with last year like next year let's go ahead and water a few times. So maybe water twice, maybe we'll water three times. Yeah. But I want to build soil. And we are building soil, but I want to cuz I want next year I want us to grow a full garden without irrigation, and we kind of need more soil, sure for that. Uh, yarrow? There's a spot where there is it is thick with yarrow. It's a yarrow carpet. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of run to if you get any cuts. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and we've got uh, five or six Lofthouse squashes growing, the ones that he's so very proud of. One of them I saw today looked really sad. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, boot yeah. camp. Boot camp! Right. It'll it's probably an annual, though.
1: look better in a, a week or something after this heat wave passes. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there are some of Lofthouse's uh, Landrace
0: squash, so...
1: Uh, current. There's, it's got fruit on it right now? A yeah, there's one. I
0: think there's just one current I plant, think right? so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know where it came from. Somebody probably donated it. Yeah, I would. We have people I'd just so. showing up with plants all the time. You know, this is Weed and Labs. I'm so glad to be here. I brought you eight plants. You're right. And sometimes I brought you a truckload of plants. Yep. You know, and it's like, ah, Okay. Let's start planting. So I think the current was a gift. Right. It's been there two or three years. Yeah. Lovage. Some pretty massive lovage. (laughs) Yeah. The lovage is loving it. Uh, Lupin. Lupin grows wild here. Yep. Yeah. And so we've got some lupin that's wild lupin, and we've got some that where we bought some seed just for kicks and plant It's a nitrogen fixer. Yep. And it's happy here. It loves it. Um, and we 've got some huge lupins that 's that 's the whole list of all the species that we wrote down there 's probably twenty more that we didn 't notice right under the grass or little things i 'm sure we missed quite a few, yeah, yeah, and we didn 't go around to the in fact we didn 't go around to the back of the biggest berm. Because there's not a trail to go back there. Yeah. And maybe. that would require some climbing gear or something. And binoculars. Uh, <laughs> maybe so. But we are, uh, building a trail, uh, to start down that, that road. And it's, it'll be, you know, I've I've gone out and I've 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 done a little dry stack, I've dug, I've done a little bit. I think 100% of the trail is my effort so far. Mm-hmm. Um if we had boots here, I think I would say, "Let's go build a trail, boots." Yeah. And they would say, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the trail will be cool, and then it'll open up a lot of uh Zone 4 real estate to be Zone 2. Yeah. Because it's like you get to the edge of this spot, and it's like there's all this land that's inside the paddock, but we just don't go there because it's... It's kind of, you gotta, you gotta be a little bold and scrambly. Right now, Jocelyn's got a broken leg and I've got my spinal cord stuff haunting me again. Right, there's no rope ladder going down. (laughs) Right, right. And, you know, this is the Rocky Mountains. So, um, uh, that's it. That's all my notes. So, that's the story for the, uh, the great and grand, um, culture berms that are here right next to the Fisher Price house. Um, I would like to soon move to the lab, but we're still experimenting. Uh, oh, not a bad time for an hour's Abbey update. I think that uh, uh, that wall is looking beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, there. Yeah, there you go. yeah. The no, sp- <laughs> I mean, it, it,
1: we, uh, we put some earthen plaster on a straw bale wall during the peasant PDC, and the inside it has the finished plaster, the outside... Needs like one little spot before it's ready for the finished plaster, and I kind of just been letting it dry out totally because there was some spots where some uh, wheat that was in the straw bales was sprouting. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was raining a lot when we were doing that, and now it's, it hasn't rained in a while, so it should be should be dry.
0: And today is such a warm day. It's probably going to dry out pretty good today. Yeah. 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 But it's looking beautiful. It's looking really beautiful. Yeah. But um, it would be good to have some boots here to really finish it up. That'd mm. be nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the PDC is about to finish up. Um, uh, I I think that uh, I w- this is – I think next year I want to do a PDC like this. So we did scientists and engineers – and uh, a PDC for scientists and engineers. I'm skipped the homestead thing. Um, <laughs> Alan Booker is amazing. Um, these, the scientists and the engineers that came, um, they, they, um, uh, came with a lot of knowledge already. Yep. And they have extremely high expectations. And Alan Booker has exceeded all of those expectations. Mm. And this, this I th- I think that uh, that Jeff Lawton needs to probably send a hit squad out to Alan Booker's house if he <laughs> wants to remain on that throne. Um, Alan Booker is really amazing. So um, uh, and the appropriate technology course is about to begin. Uh, Chris McClellan is already here. And, uh, there's, there's a lot of really cool stuff that's gonna be happening during that. Uh, they're gonna be building, uh, shippable cores that people will take home. Yeah. And, um, uh, all kinds of, you know, the electric tractor's gonna get worked on. Um, I mean, the list of projects is huge. Uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be very cool. You, sir, are gonna be very busy, uh, during the appropriate technology course. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Alright, that's it. Uh, if you like this sort of thing, Come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we talk about hugelkultur, culture, homesteading, and permaculture all, all the, the time. time. Don't forget, go out to
1: patreon.com/paulweaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.